listening to this. You are the resistance. Come with me if you want to live. Welcome to the now playing Terminator retrospective series. What is your mission? It is Judgment Day for the Terminator films as we hear it now playing, watch and review all four films in the Terminator franchise in anticipation of McGee's new movie, Terminator Salvation, opening in theaters May 21st. You can't do that. Wrong. These conversations will be spoiler-filled critiques of the Terminator films, and as the films are R-rated, there may be some mild coarse language as well. Win or lose, this war ends tonight. And we're here talking about Terminator Salvation, starring Christian Bale, Sam Worthington, Anton Yelchin, and directed by McGee. I'm Arnie. I'm Marjorie. And I'm Stuart. And this is our first PG-13 rated Terminator movie. You know, I felt like, you know, because it's machines, they can still smash things a little bit more. They're humanoid. But where I noticed it was in scenes where things blew up. Like there's some scenes where people are driving away in cars and the giant robot blasts them and the cars explode very spectacularly. And it's very clear that nothing is inside of the flaming vehicles. Did that bug you guys? Did you feel it? Well, here's the thing. If the sequel's PG-13 and the original was an R, it usually is going to suck. I can't think of any circumstance where a PG-13 sequel did not suck balls compared to its originals. And the only ones I can think of besides this one, and this one is the best of the bunch by far, but Alien vs. Predator, a PG-13 combo sequel to two R-rated franchises. We are not going to talk about that. Until we do our Alien Predator retrospective series. Mm. I'm not on board for that, sorry. And then Live Free or Die Hard. Yeah. And that one was ridiculously bad. Well, as a rule, horror movies also suck if they're a PG-13 horror movie because you really just can't be scary without that gore factor. And I think we missed a lot of violence in this movie. There is another. RoboCop 3 was PG-13. That's all I need to say about that. (laughs) I never saw 2. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, it didn't have Peter Weller. There was so much wrong with by the time they got to 3. They could have made it NC-17. It wasn't going to save it. 3 makes 2 look like 1. How's that? I'll take your word for it. (laughs) That's some scary math, sir. (laughs) (laughs) But so I was a little nervous going in because usually when they do the PG-13, there's only one reason to do it. And that's to bring in a bigger audience because you're not restricting those under 17. And you're thinking we're going to appeal to the teenage boy crowd to make more money. Right. It's never an artistic decision. I just feel like being nicer. It's always a monetary driven decision. And to support your argument that the movies usually aren't good, it's usually the reason why they feel they have to do that is because they don't have confidence in enough money being made with the R-rated version. Rather, they don't have confidence that adults are going to turn out in force to watch it. So let's appeal to teenagers. And I want to say that after Terminator 3 came out and we saw it in theaters, I had no desire to see Terminator 4 at all. I heard they were making it and I'm like, I'm not going to see it. Yeah, as you further dilute a series, it tends to lose its effectiveness and power. And I, I disagree with that statement having, you know, 
on this very podcast sat through 12 Friday the 13th and 11 Star Treks. Okay, but wait a second, though. Those aren't, those are just little adventures. There's not a continuing story there. My thing about this was Terminator 3 was so far lower in quality than Terminator 2. And then McG, Charlie's Angels McG at the helm. What turned me around was actually seeing McG in person at San Diego Comic-Con last year. And he sat up there in front of thousands of people and he showed some footage. And I'm like, the footage looks good. And then he goes, we're not going to try to make it PG-13. We're going to make the movie we want to make. And if it's PG-13, it's PG-13. If it's R, it's R. And the studio stands behind us. Well, that kind of didn't ring true to me. Because if you're going to make the movie you want to make and you're not worried about it, then aren't you going to say a few curse words that after you say one time guarantees you that R rating? So when it came out and was PG-13, I felt like he lied. He, He was artistically crippled. So going into this, I had some baggage. I went in with very low expectations, though. I went in expecting the worst. Not hoping for the worst, not looking for the worst, but I just went in going, you know, if it's as good as Terminator 3, I feel lucky. I didn't think it was. It wasn't. You're right. <clears throat> I, I, I'll tell you what it lacked. Fear of the machines. They mm. didn't establish Terminators are freaking scary and you need to worry about this. And it didn't have any suspense. You know John Connor's going to live. You know they're not going to shoot themselves in the foot. At no point was I worried that John Connor was not going to make it or anybody else for that matter, or Kyle Reese. Well, my situation is this. It's now 2018. Yes. And Armageddon happened as it did in the previous movies and they're fighting Skynet. But this is the first Terminator film without time travel. And in one of the trailers I saw, John Connor, Christian Bale, is interrogating Marcus and was asking him, are you from the future? Are you from the past? And so going into this movie, because of that trailer, I thought Marcus was a time traveler. And then his entrance where he just sort of appears, I thought perhaps was a reference to maybe he's from the future or the past. But to have a Terminator film that doesn't have time travel and never references time travel, because that scene from the trailer, not in the movie, it really, it it lacked the paradox that defined the past three films. And so it didn't really feel consistent with the Terminator franchise for me. Well, also in the trailer was the fact that Christian Bale leans forward and says to him, you think you're human, which is immediately telegraphing to us, this guy is not a human, he is a cyborg. And so that big surprise that comes 90 minutes in the movie uh, was totally spoiled for me going in. Yeah, that really hurt this movie for me too, because I stay there the whole time and I know that the Sam Worthington character is a Terminator, Mm -hmm. but they don't want me to know that. No. And there's certain scenes, especially the early on action scenes where he's taking a pummeling and I'm like they're they're screwing with our heads they want it's like Blade Runner at the end of Blade Runner where you're wondering is or isn't Harrison Ford a replicant but he's doing things no human can do and then here you've got the Marcus character doing the same thing but then it's going to be aha he is a Terminator well the thing I noticed which I did know he was a Terminator because of the trailers which I'm very upset that they told me that but if you notice when he got hit in the face he did that pause and look back that all the Terminators do in all the previous movies. Yeah, it was it was a disappointment to let that out of the bag. But even still, I can usually put on my pretend cap and be like, okay, I'll pretend like I don't know this if you can entertain me. I thought his whole introduction was very weird. It starts with the scene Helena Barnum Carter is an obvious cancer victim and the owner of this cancer research center coming to him right before he's executed on death row. And basically saying, sign this form for Cyberdyne. 
Does anyone understand this to me? Why would a tech company have anything to do with cancer? And what would they hope to do with dead, injected criminals? That is an interesting point. And why him? You know, to go back to the RoboCop analogy, in RoboCop 2, they pick a criminal to make a cyborg. But they did it because he matched a certain psychological profile. There was a reason they wanted him. Mm -hmm. This seemed all very random. It was very random. And then... To take it further, when we find out that this company was co-opted by Skynet, and again I ask, what would Skynet need or want with a cancer research company? They act like this was the plan all along. Ha 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 ha. We finally got someone that can infiltrate the humans. And I'm like, really? <laughs> like, your plan was to dig up some 18-year-old corpse and, like, have him sneak in? I mean, what a gobbledygook plan. For super intelligent robots, I, I think they're really stupid, particularly since for half the movie they have Kyle Reese sitting in a chamber. I don't know. Why don't you just kill him? That would... Uh... <laughs> it's the James Bond, Austin Powers rule of keeping a prisoner. Well, maybe I've been reading too much science fiction, but what I took from it is that they were going to learn how to transfer one's consciousness into computers or cyborging. They weren't trying to cure cancer. They were trying to transfer the soul or life or something. But Helena Bonham Carter clearly had cancer, or at least she was bald and acted like it. Was she in on it? Is that what we're meant to infer? She was the scientist doing it and I think her hope was you know they needed a test subject to see if they could do this cyborging procedure or something to make it so the body is irrelevant because they do this to him where he's what a brain and a heart in a new body and yet I think she was hoping if she could master this then the cancer wouldn't matter she would evolve past the body I think you guys are thinking really too hard for five minutes of screen time <laughs> and yet it is the reason why we have to deal with Marcus who is a totally new character and I would argue the central character of this story John Connor is kind of a background character he's in it but he's not really the focal point and he's, his story arc is not as interesting as Marcus. No, and I was surprised that having Christian Bale, and there was so much hype around this movie because this is a movie where Christian Bale ripped the lighting guy a new one, that he was more of a front character, but I was surprised at the lack of Christian Bale. Not that I mind it because I'm really not a big fan of his, but I was surprised that Marcus was the main character. Really, I was surprised because I'm watching Marcus act, and I'm watching him act against Christian Bale, and I'm like, wow, these guys are hitting the same note. They're mm -hmm. both these, like, intense but emotionless, but yet tortured people. I'm like, wow, that's, it's like looking into a mirror. But Marcus cannot keep his accent suppressed. No, he certainly can't. But yeah, I do agree, Arnie. He is meant to look, they are meant to look like each other, one being human, one being robot. I think it was supposed to be some kind of parallel, but it is very distracting to me that Sam Worthington, clearly an Aussie, cannot... Why didn't he just play an Aussie? I'm like, why do we have to pretend... Arnold didn't try to be American. Exactly. I mean, just go with the Aussie accent. I mean, maybe they just were afraid that the Mel Gibson parallels would be even more obvious because clearly Sam Worthington is drawing on Mad Max and Mel Gibson in this movie. Everything that he does, everything, how he looks, the dresses, the leather pants, all of that. I'm just like, wow, this is Mad Max just stuck right into this movie. Now that you mentioned another movie, I thought the beginning of it where the machines are capturing humans was very War of the 
the worlds. And I mean, the remake with Tom Cruise, not the original. When they're capturing the humans with the same sound effects and kind of the same way with these claws that kind of come up and get the people and put them in these baskets. Very similar to the Terminator movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can. There's a lot of movies going on in this movie. Yeah. And I, I feel like Terminator was like one out of eight. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I saw a lot of Mad Max in it. I saw Transformers in it. I saw Saving Private Ryan in it. But I'll tell you what, I didn't feel that much Terminator in it. And I think the biggest reason for that for me is I loved at the core that Terminator movies were slasher movies. It was a scary slasher stalker chasing a woman, and that was the thrust of the story. Now all of that is gone, and we've essentially got a war movie with several different players all over the country, and I I just feel like, wow, the focus is gone. Well, I dare say only the first one had the slasher feel. The second one had some remnants of it. There were some scary moments, especially in the beginning, but I'd say the first one was really where when we were watching it we were all like wow that's just like Halloween. And part of the scariness of the Terminator is they are so advanced and such killing machines you don't ever know how you're going to get away from them. That's part of watching them at the Pescadero Mental Hospital when they're in the elevator and the T-1000 has the hooks and you can open the doors and slice through the elevator. You're like crap how are they going to get out of this? That's part of the suspense you love as an audience. This movie I didn't have any of that and no time did I think god they're never going to get out of this. But I never had that with T-3 either. Yeah, kind of. We've already commented on the fact that T3 was lesser and much lesser than the first two Terminators. I mean, honestly, I don't know that you need to go beyond the first two Terminators. These these last two, well, they're not bad, but they just aren't satisfying. And I just feel like it's never it's never been able to recover from the loss of James Cameron. No, absolutely not. And even though I'm not a huge fan of Cameron's, I do like the Terminator films and I can admit that when it comes down to it, the man has a vision and he's able to tell a story about characters. And there's a big difference about having characters you care about in an explosion and just having a loud explosion. Mm-hmm. And in this case, though, I just it was so all over the map that I'm sitting there watching this movie. And there's a lot of action going on and I'm not wrapped up in it. And I'm sitting here and I'd say I'm maybe 45 minutes into the movie and I'm like, I am bored. Yes. There's a chase and I'm sitting here arms crossed going, this isn't exciting me. And it should. It's the same kind of semi-truck chase I've seen in the past three and liked. Why is this one not getting to me? The problem was I didn't know who the hell to care about in this movie because you got John Connor who in the trailers he's played up as the lead character. And in the past two movies he's the central figure. And I'm like, when are they going to get to the point that John Connor meets Marcus. When are they going to tell everyone what we already know, that Marcus is a Terminator? When are we going to get to that point in the movie? And that's when I finally stopped being bored is when I didn't know what was going to happen next. But getting there, and that took, like you said, 90 minutes, that was 90 minutes of me just being bored. And it's not that it was bad. It's just there were no characters to care about. Yeah, it's, I mean, in order for this to work, we have to love John Connor. And I must confess, I never had... I have always been much more into Sarah Connor. I always felt, like I said, the thrust was about a woman being terrorized by a robot and her championing that. I think Cameron is better with female action leads, and I feel like that was another problem with Terminator 3, and certainly a problem with Terminator Salvation. It's that John Connor is just not that interesting. And I love Christian Bale. I think he's done great work in independent movies. He always is willing to go out and do really 
wacky stuff and has even done commercial stuff with Batman that was interesting and, and, and you could root for him. But here he gave me nothing. It really felt like I'm here to pick up my paycheck and I haven't gotten over being mad at the cinematographer. Like he's, <laughs> Every scene, I'm angry. Every scene. <laughs> and from what I've heard from the behind the scenes whatever, I think that this really was a paycheck movie. I think people assume that he made a boatload off of Batman, but he made that deal before he was a star and does not get an enormous payday doing those movies. And that'll be true if they do a third movie. However, after Dark Knight, he was very willing to sign on to do the big budget thing. And it really feels like he was he was just kind of phoning it in. Disappointing. And I, I feel like this movie really suffers because John Connor is not interesting. Let me tell you why I disagree. And I, I've been knowing I'm going to get into this, so I think now is a good time. Even though we haven't really talked about the movie too much. I read an article after seeing this movie at chud.com and it Uh talked about the making of Terminator and the movie that was versus the movie that is. I'm not going to go into all of the details. There's some really weird stuff. You should go to chud.com and read it about how in one draft, the Skynet actually was trying to save humanity instead of kill it and they were creating a utopia in Skynet City. Really weird, bad things that shouldn't have happened. But here's something interesting. John Connor was not supposed to be part of this movie. In the original drafts, the main character was Marcus Wright and John Connor was in the movie for about three minutes and mostly he was a voice on the radio. And they approached Christian Bale to play Marcus. And Christian said, well, I'll be part of the movie, but I'm John Connor. And now they had to rewrite the whole story to be the story of John Connor and Marcus, whereas originally it was going to be Marcus and Kyle Reese. And Kyle and Marcus were going to have a similar dynamic to the Edward Furlong Arnold in T2, where Marcus would be training Kyle. And we kind of see a little of that in this movie mm-hmm. with the gun and things. Some of it still is there, but that was going to be the thrust of the movie. And John Connor was going to be literally on a submarine in hiding from the Terminators. The head of the resistance kept inside because they don't want the machines to kill him. I love that. That's so clean. <laughs> that is such a cleaner way of dealing with that story. If you really don't need John Connor in this story as other than a voice on the radio, a, a, a folk hero that's inspiring the resistance. That, that makes perfect sense. And I can see how, how that got changed in the uh, making and not to the better. No, because I'm watching this. and But one of the writers said the trick is to buff up the John Connor story in a way that makes it important and not forcing him into every scene. And they failed at doing that because yes. the entire time that John Connor's arguing with Michael Ironside, you know, it's like, what is the point of all this? And, you know, John Connor, of all people, son of Sarah Connor, Sarah, I'm going to kill everyone in the home of the guy who developed Skynet. Michael Dyson. Michael Dyson. I'm going to kill his wife. I'm going to kill his kid. You know, John Connor should have been willing to bomb Skynet. Yeah, I, I, I guess. But the, no, the reason why he didn't do it was then he will create a paradox in which his own father will die before he can procreate him. Yeah, but we've never been too sure what would happen if that happened yeah and that makes my head hurt a lot because what would happen if he died would he start to vanish a la back to the future i mean would he just like boof he's gone hey where'd that guy go i don't remember his name because he doesn't exist anymore how would that work well i guess he didn't want to test the theories i i don't know how it would work but i feel like 
this that was the central drama of this one whereas in the past it's how how can we change the future this one is very much how can we ensure the past is going to create this future the problem i had also though is it seems very obvious because you see the terminator screen very quickly you don't get a nice lingering shot but it knows kyle reese the terminators know kyle reese is a primary target how do they know kyle reese is important at this point because they barely knew sarah connor was john connor's mother let alone that Kyle Reese was the father. And second of all, if you have Kyle Reese before he went on to father John Connor, why do you use him as bait to ki- to lure no. out John Connor instead of just killing him? You because- absolutely don't. Yes, you absolutely don't. That is the biggest flaw with this movie is that they've captured him and they want to pretend that that is part of the plot when in fact they tell you in the beginning the number one threat is not John Connor it's Reese he was the number one on their list to kill yeah it was I mean the Terminator machine Skynet obviously believes that you can change the past to change the present so why not put a bullet in his head and do that rather than going through the trouble of inventing time travel 10 years from now yeah no there's no need to lead john connor into the false hope that marcus has allowed him a path into skynet to save his father and destroy it that is very garbled and was it's not machine thinking there's nothing logical or coherent about that that is not how it would be done can I grant them that because I want to see all the action and pyrotechnics? Well, I think what we're saying is when you have action and pyrotechnics that don't have that thrust, that don't have that existential fear of are we going to exist, it's, it's just a lot of noise. All three of the previous movies have had talks about fate and destiny and all that. And this movie, it was. It was just action without the brains. It was a war mm-hmm. movie. Yep. That's all it was. That's There's nothing wrong with that. If it was a good war movie, a series can transcend genre. I point to Alien. Alien was a horror movie. Aliens was a war movie, action movie. And it can work uh, in a series, but it has to be done well. This wasn't a good war movie because you didn't care about the soldiers. Saving Private Ryan, you cared about the troops out there trying to save Private Ryan. Here, I'm like, I still don't know who to care for. Yeah, I agree. There, It lacks a central, likable character. John Connor, I've, I've already said, is a, is a, is a problem. Uh, Sam Worthington, uh, we're, we're on to a secret, and he doesn't have a whole lot of moments to connect with us. I mean, he starts out being this irredeemable character. We don't quite know why he's being put down, right? We know no. that he's like, oh, this song reminds me of my brother, and he listens to Alice in Chains and all of that. So we get the idea, okay. Well, he... Yeah, he he killed his brother and two cops somehow. That's all we know. Okay, I didn't even hear that he killed his brother, so that does help a little. It was in the prison scene in the beginning. Yeah, that went by really fast for me. And like I said, I was fixated on trying to figure out why they would even want him. But I can't say, even though he, I would say, is the central figure here, he's the one that we're supposed to follow, I can't say I was totally won over by him. Well, my question about that character is, first of all, did they just keep his heart and brain like in a jar for 15 years and Skynet finally said we're going to resurrect this. I I don't understand why Skynet chose to do it instead of just continuing with like their T-800 series model which looks human as well and could infiltrate just as well. In Terminator 1 we're said that the Terminators that look human were sent to infiltrate. Okay, why do you need a Terminator who doesn't know he's a Terminator to infiltrate? I don't get what Skynet was trying to do and why they went down the cyborg path. I guess 
guess what they were thinking, and I'm I'm only speculating here, is that if he had the capacity to fall in love or to uh, fight other Terminators or do whatever, it, it makes him more trustworthy. And indeed, we do have a character, Miss Moon Bloodgood, uh, also known as Blair in the movie, who uh, bizarrely falls in love with him very, very quickly after he saves her from being raped. She's very independent, you know, wants to do everything herself, wants to cut her own self down after she parachutes into power lines, but all of a sudden she gets all gooey and is like, you got a nice heart. <laughs> and um, the next thing we know, she's willing to die to save him uh, when the resistance is got him chained and tortured. And betrays the entire resistance to do so. It doesn't really satisfy me uh, to see that storyline at all. You know why? That moment wasn't earned. This film never earned the betrayal. She'd been with the resistance fighting for the survival of humanity and the betraying everything she'd ever fought for for this machine wasn't earned. Right. You gotta figure that her family, everyone she knows has been killed by robots and now because this guy's got a good heart and then who knows what else happened that night. But still, (laughs) that's going to change everything that she's fighting for i don't know that character's too tough for me to believe she could wuss out like that i also have a problem with the end of the movie i'm gonna jump there now where marcus sacrifices himself to save john connor saying take my heart first of all the person doing this open heart surgery was a veterinarian in the last film and second of all unless they've made major medical advances after (laughs) judgment day i can't just walk into the hospital and go you see that man give him my heart (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> There's Tess, and now John Connor's no warrior. He's going to be on, you know, anti-rejection pills for the rest of his life. You know, there, I I had heard a leak about what the ending was, and I was very surprised when it didn't come to light. The What I believe to be the ending of Terminator Salvation and what I believe to be a better ending than the one we got was that John Connor does die, and that rather than risk uh, losing the morale of the Resistance, they transfer his heart and his whatever into a a Terminator as well. Let me tell you what it is, because I read this on Chud. You're almost right. John Connor does die, but because he was living that reclusive life on the submarine, no one knew what he really looked like. And so they transplant his face onto Marcus. Oh, and that's why okay. he had those scars in Terminator 2. It was scars from the face transplant, even though nobody knows what he looks like. So who knows why they had to transplant the face. But that was also playing up the whole Kyle Reese Marcus connection. John Connor was never close to Kyle Reese. Marcus was. And then Marcus becomes John Connor and he and Reese are friends. I mean, how do you guys feel about that, Marjorie? I, I like that myself. I don't know. That's again, you know, you're adding another element of confusion and making my head hurt time travel is hard enough as it is I, I yeah i don't think i like that i don't know how you could improve this movie to be honest i don't know if killing john connor would have made this movie better because by the time that the movie ended and john connor was there dying admittedly i was sitting there scratching my head going they can't kill him for a number of reasons first of all we already know how he dies thanks to arnold saying in terminator 3 i kill you and second of all if he died there how could he send kyle back Those well wasn't the it the things. arnold terminator who stabbed him yeah that's why i thought it was happening i was like this is happening just as they planned it. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't think it would have really changed the movie for me. I would have left, I actually think I would have left more disappointed because the central figure in these movies are the Connors. And if you change it so that Connor is a Terminator, yeah, sure, that creates a great paradox for the next movie, but it doesn't help this one. Hmm. 
I would be willing to see where they could go with it from there. I don't know if that would work, but I feel like that is a more surprising ending other than, as you say, the veterinarian assistant just takes the robot's heart and puts it into her husband and he lives. That, that, that doesn't work for me at all. I was wondering what was going to happen to the Kate Brewster character who was introduced in the last movie. And the moment she walks on screen pregnant, I'm like, well, nothing's going to happen with this character. She's obviously <laughs> pregnant and going to stay behind the entire time. Yeah, that character was completely and utterly useless. I question for you guys, two of them actually, was Bryce Dallas Howard actually pregnant? Because wow, if she wasn't, what an amazing makeup job. I said the same thing because she looked like she was pregnant in the face. Yes, they never do it in the face. When someone's movie pregnant, they got a bump, but they yeah. never fatten the face. And here she's, she's got a wide full face yeah. and it really makes you think... They either were she, they were either not worried about her vanity and just said do it, or she really was appropriately. Maybe that's why she got the part. Well, She's and pregnant. it made me look at her and I'm like, oh, that's not at all what I thought she looked like. And she really looks just kind of like a normal person, not like a movie <laughs> star like you'd expect. You know, it's not a glamour part. No. Second question though, obviously this is all set up for the sequel. I mean, why is she pregnant? Why is that even important? Is the kid going to do something? Because it has no relevance here. This See, the first thing that popped in my head was, well, that's awful. They're responsible to have a baby during the war with the machines. <laughs> you have to continue mankind. Yeah, but can't you wait until, like, mankind no, you is can't, a little more because stable? you might die tomorrow. You've got to continue But then who's the going to take care of your kid? Well, not all the women are pregnant here. There is another female character who is very clearly not pregnant. No, she was kind of, I didn't like her at all. You mentioned Arnold. They did some great work with Arnold on this one, didn't they? Well, you didn't shoot a frame of film. No. No, the scene. CGI on his face. Yeah, they got another person to play his body, and then they pasted his face on, but it was wonderfully done. Well, they got that technology. I mean, to talk about a different movie that, that kind of pioneered this, did you guys see Benjamin Button? I, the first, I was stunned when I found out that half of the movie, Brad Pitt is not in the film. They just filmed him with dots on it, and then the whole Brad Pitt that you're watching is CGI. Well, I haven't seen that movie, but I know for a fact they did this in the latter two Star Wars films because Christopher Lee can barely walk, and yet you see him fencing. And well, I, I don't remember those being as seamless, Arnie, but okay. <laughs> Not as seamless, but... There were some flips in there that I don't think Jet Lee could do. <laughs> No, here, though, I was surprised at how well it looked like the original Arnold. They picked a exact duplicate body model with the pecs and everything, and it looked like young Arnold again. They really smoothed out the wrinkles, which is something I'd seen before in X-Men 3. They took Patrick Stewart and uh, the other guy and made them look much younger through CGI. They de-wrinkled them. Yeah. I mean, and can I just say, I don't know what your audience was like, but when that came on, that was the first, nope, make that the second time that I heard the audience audibly, physically change in the, in the room. There was applause, there was <gasps> gas, there was, there, was, there was excitement. People suddenly felt engaged in a way when Arnold walked on that suddenly they felt like, wow, we're getting what we wanted. And the only other time in the movie where that happened, Christian Bale saying, I'll be back. Yeah, and that didn't happen in our theater. In fact, I think there's a candy wrapper rattling, and that's about it. Yeah, our, our <laughs> audience was not very engaged. Well, it, mine was very much 
young Terminator, mostly male audience, they definitely, I could feel the room shift when the Arnold came on. And it only seemed to remind me of what was missing from so much of this movie. You know, I gotta say, though, at the end, when Christian Bale says, I'll be back, and then they play Guns N' Roses, uh, You Could Be Mine... I was just mm-hmm. like, oh my god, where, what movie did this become? Because this was not the same movie I was watching ten minutes earlier. Yeah, you know, I I felt like whenever they were trying to evoke the Terminator in any other moment, it didn't really work. Yeah, why why the Guns N' Roses there, I don't know. I was more distressed by the fact that he used it to lure these robot motorcycles, uh, which we've seen already dodging everything that comes at them and tricks it by, like, pulling a rope across the road (laughs) miles ahead and the thing hitting it and then being allowed to be reprogrammed. I was like, well, this just doesn't feel... I mean, that's just stupid. (laughs) No other word for it. This movie just felt way too much to me like one of the Matrix sequels. Mmm, yes. And... Part of the reason I thought Matrix for the first time is the command center is on a submarine. Well, that's what they did in the first Matrix was they were on that submarine-like vessel so they could stay on the run from the machines. It just felt so Matrix-like to me. Not, you know, there was no bullet time or the one or any of that BS, but... It just, the whole thing, that's why I say it felt like the Matrix sequels, where they're just fighting the machines, and you've got these characters going through the motions, and it it just, it didn't click for me, and during that scene was one of them, where it's just like, you know, he's reprogramming the machine, and now he's gonna ride this bike, and he's on his own. I would have preferred it if it had been kind of like, the people chose to follow John to rescue the people, rather than John going off on his own. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why Marcus went on his own. I don't know why those two didn't team up to break into Skynet. And I don't know why, yeah, John Connor would have to not take any of his friends with him. Why it had to be a a one-man operation. I just know that that's an action movie cliche. It makes him more heroic if he's the only one and the fate of the universe, you know, rides on him and not common and... And Jada Grace and whoever else wants to tag along. And I was just really disappointed with Michael Ironside in this movie. I'm a Michael Ironside fan. He played typical Michael Ironside. I don't know what your problem is. He died way too easy. (laughs) They all died way too easily. However, they set it up so in the next movie, if there is one, John Connor is leading the resistance. And that's the subplot there that they found a radio wave that would disable the Terminators. Am I the only one who was sitting there going, how do you know the Terminator isn't playing possum? Because I really thought that from the beginning of the movie is like, it's a trap. There's no way that you could just broadcast a sound. It's a trap. It's like the brown note. I didn't see it as a trap. Uh, I fell into that one. But what was so weird to me was that they weren't using it. (laughs) It's like, okay, we have this signal and it makes the machines drop over. Great. Cool. Why, why do you have to go to San Francisco? Why don't you just put it out in the airwaves? Why don't you play it wherever you go? Like, there's this, this exciting scene where John Connor's helicopter crashes and all these, like, little uh, worminators, these little worm-like <laughs> machines are coming up on his, uh, his drowning helicopter. I'm like, now would have been a good time to bust out the cassette. You know, why, why aren't you uh, using your best weapon? against the machine. I felt the same way when he was playing You Will Be Mine and driving into Skynet City. I'm like, why is it he take out the Guns N' Roses tape and put in the sound that will just disable all Terminators around him? Because at that point, he didn't know it didn't work. 
It would have made much more sense. Yeah, that just didn't make sense at all. I had a hard mm-hmm. time with a lot of things in this movie like that. Really, though, that's the thing is we've got two different plots. You've got John Connor and the Resistance as plot A. You've got Marcus trying to figure out what he is as plot B. The two didn't intersect in a way that felt right. I still, what is the salvation here? Is it Marcus? It is Marcus. I mean, I feel like Marcus is the character that has to redeem himself. He's the prisoner. He feels terrible about what he's done. He he has a, a couple speeches where he talks about can he be saved? Can he be redeemed? And then ultimately, he kind of dies in a martyr fashion for John Connor. Yeah, I, I don't know. It just didn't, again, without knowing what he did it, and why he did it and why he was on death row without giving us backstory on that character to, and to tell us why he would want to be redeemed. Mm-hmm. I know in the very beginning you got him, you know, being injected and he's in the Christ pose, you know, very subtle there with the arms out and everything. Right. Didn't scream Christ at all, no. Although they do really do it that way, but yes. <laughs> but I, I understand that he was the main point, but I just didn't get what he was being saved from other than some vague murder that took place in 2003. Yeah, I feel like they didn't want you to know. It was one of those things where... We want you to think of him as a bad dude, but we really actually don't want you to know how bad he is because you might not like him. I always got the impression that whenever he talked about it, it was an accidental killing. And because he was really just a good guy with a heart of gold underneath that he was going to take his lumps, whether it be death or whatever, because he knew he made a mistake and had to pay for it. That's what I got, too. I never got he was a bad guy. He never played evil. And you're tapping into something that I don't like. It's come up in other podcasts. I, I believe during Star Trek, I made a big gripe about the fact that I wanted original Spock to actually have committed something to to make the evil characters want to get revenge on him. You have to do that. I think you have to trust the audience to show them the dark side of your characters if you're going to tell a redemption story. If this is about a man's salvation from his life of crime, it doesn't work if he's just some this sort of nice guy that kind of fell in with some bad kids and got put on death row. I mean, it's he's got to be bad. He's got to be really bad. And I think that that's why I don't think Marcus is particularly good in this movie. I mean, as a character, he's just not bad enough for me to want to see his redemption. No, I mean, let me pull into another science fiction movie. Have you guys seen Pitch Black? Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a good scenario of a criminal who gets put into a situation where he has to work for some greater good. I agree. Good call. In this movie, you know, once he teams up with Reese, I have no doubt that he's going to start helping Reese and Star. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, they think they're helping him, but he helps them. If he's this hardened criminal who needs redemption, his first instinct shouldn't be to help strangers. No, it should be like the people that they ran into who Mm -hmm. their first instinct was just to kind of shoot them. Yeah. And, yeah, I think this movie could have worked so much better if you had John Connor as the, you know, stalwart good and then put somebody, yeah, a little bit more hardened, you know, the Riddick in the Marcus character. Yeah, I, it's you're right. That movie was much more satisfying in how it presented its anti-hero, you know. 
Escape from New York, you know, but bringing back the the John Carpenter mm-hmm. uh, stuff that I've seen before. These are these are antiheroes. They're bad dudes, but you know what? Sometimes you want a bad dude in a bad situation. And in this one, he just wasn't bad enough for me. I didn't feel like he was really a threat. And since I knew he was a robot, I knew that none of the other Terminators were really going to kill him anyway because they knew he was a robot, even if he did. There's that, and also the fact that he's a robot who's not dangerous. I would have like to at some point you know make me feel for this character show me that redemption and then show me skynet flipping the switch that takes control of him like they did to arnold in t3 make him turn on those he was about to save something get make him dangerous why was he a terminator what was the point of that yeah how did he retain his free will which yes he's supposed to be an infiltrator however couldn't any terminator do that well you know and now we're edging into what I've always kind of had a dicky problem with. It's, I've never really wanted to ask the question because I feel like there's probably no good answer, but this movie just begs it, and that is this. Why are the machines trying to kill humans? What is so threatening about humans that Skynet would have to design all these killing machines to totally wipe humans off the planet? I mean, they're killing, attacking us in, I mean, in ways that like, I don't even feel like exterminators do with trying to wipe out cockroaches. It doesn't make any sense to me that Skynet would be this militant about our annihilation. I think that the director's cut is going to perhaps explain a lot. You're, I don't think there will be a director's cut. You don't think? I, knowing what I've read about the production of this movie, this was the script. And the problem was the script started off as a very different script. Like I said, it was going to be all Marcus and Kyle. And then when they break in, they found out that Skynet was actually trying to save humanity. And then John Connor dies. I mean, it's... And then they just kept iterating the script again and again because Christian Bale wanted it that way. And... Mm. What you were left with was an unsatisfying script and like a bad foundation to a house. If the script is not satisfying, it doesn't matter what you build on it. It will not stand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I guess that that central premise was not uh, defined in a way that I really didn't understand why the machines wanted to kill them. And then when they weren't killing them, they were harvesting them. They had that giant machine that was grabbing people and stuffing it inside them. What was that about yeah see I, that's where i think the director's cut would come into play is maybe we'd find out now i know from arnie that humans are being used as slaves well that was said in terminator one yeah right and in passing not in any real detail no no i would have loved to have seen that why would skynet keep this giant prison well and if right. you look the sl- machines making machines in there so why would they need the humans it doesn't make sense it doesn't pay off If the real goal was to totally terminate and annihilate human beings because Skynet perceives them as a threat so large that it cannot coexist with them, you would not create cells and stick them into concentration camps. You would just terminate them. And what are the machines going to do after they terminate all the humans anyway? I know. Wouldn't that be a sad little party? (laughs) Yeah. Well, what do we do now, George? I don't know. What do you want to do? What the hell? (laughs) I know. Well, Skynet, I see now it's based in San Francisco. I mean, last time it was a web-based and there was no physical location for that it. That bothered I guess, me in this one. It's starting up. We're going to party in San Francisco. I, I mean, San Francisco is a great town. I yeah. guess if you were going to put some roots down, that's not a bad place. <laughs> but I but, guess they took, you know, take over the Fisherman's Wharf and, you know. Lots of mm-hmm. leather bars for Terminators to find clothes at. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, let's not go there. But I, I just, yeah, it bothered me that there was a Skynet central location because the whole point of the last one was it was on the internet. Well, now that there is no humans, I know for a fact the internet goes down a lot. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's one why there fiber was optic cable cut and Skynet's over. Yeah, maybe that's why there was Skynet City there. I we- hope that Skynet does not run on Comcast. <laughs> Mm. You made too many Terminators. We're going to shut you off for the rest of the month. (laughs) You know, we've been complaining about all the things that aren't very satisfying and aren't very Terminator. But I would like to give a small shout out to one thing that I actually thought was a good callback. And and I was surprised that it worked. Yelchin actually looks and gets the inflections of what Michael Bean did right, I think, for with Kyle Reese. I When I heard he was cast for that, I'm like, he looks nothing like him, and he acts nothing like him, and he's a kid. But the way that he's written, and the way that he's in there, all he was needing was that spike hairdo with the Aquanet and the highlights. And he, yeah, I could, I could totally see Michael Bean in it. He's really having a good summer. He was Chekhov in Star Trek, and now he's Kyle Reese. I mean, all I've seen him before that I can remember is Alpha Dog. Mm. He had a dreadful movie with uh, Robin Williams as a retarded janitor, House of D. Don't lo- don't ask any questions about it. It's not worth knowing. <laughs> but yeah, I thought he was fine. I just wish there was more for him to do. Well, you know, when you say, when you mention that about Christian Bale demanding rewrites, I really feel like probably Christian Bale's part should have been Kyle Reese's part, as you said, and that really would have made it an even more satisfying relationship between him, the little girl, and Marcus. Yeah, and that could have been a really good movie. I don't know, though. I, I haven't seen all of McGee's stuff. I've seen quite a bit of it, and the one thing I've never seen McGee do is emotion. You know, well, well, he did do that movie where the football team went down. I didn't see we it. We are Marshall. I see, yeah. I, I never that. saw any of them, but uh, I must confess, I didn't even see Charlie's Angels, so I don't have any impression about who McGee is. The only thing I, I don't like about McGee is that he calls himself McGee, and I think anyone that refers to themselves with an arrogant one-word moniker is, you know, kind of a dipshit. Well, hold on. Just to go with you on that, Christian Bale said the exact same thing in an interview, is I didn't want to work with someone who calls himself McGee. And then maybe Maybe Mick G gave him 20 million reasons to reconsider. I don't want to rip this movie apart. It's so easy to, though. It is. I don't want to rip this movie apart. There were some good things in this movie. The very beginning really pulled me in with the helicopter crash. I had a lot of mystery, even though the trailer completely shat upon the fact that Marcus is a Terminator. I also had a lot of mystery as to Marcus, because again, the way he walks onto the scene, did he just, and he's naked. Yeah. Did he transport from the future? Did he transport from the past? No, you you know what? They put a shot in there when they're down there uh, opening up the labs. Then when the Marines get there, the military resistance fighters get there, he's one of the bodies laying there. I didn't even notice that. I didn't either. It's a half second, but I saw it. And I'm like, that's him. So we're meant to believe that he woke up and got out before the detonation went off, which I can only assume was one of those internal power supplies from a Terminator. It's so quick that it, it was just quick enough for me to go, huh, so this must be where he wakes up. And then when he comes out of the mud, I was very confused. I was like, did he, how did he get out of the nuclear explosion and nobody else? And perhaps having him on death row wasn't really a great choice because even if you hadn't seen the trailer, if he's on death row and then he's walking around, you got to figure there's something not right there because you see him injected 
Mm-hmm. But was, you saw that he donated his body to science. You didn't know what they did, and that's part of the mystery. Yeah, yeah. And we still don't at the end of the movie, and no. that's the problem. That's the problem. Yeah, they we, should have told us. We don't know what Helena Barnum Carter was going for. I was really reaching with my, you know, computerized consciousness thing. And Skynet, you know, I'm still not sure where they found his heart. I mean, was it literally in a jar that survived Judgment Day? Just, it, it, it it's not logical, so therefore a computer shouldn't do it. Yep, that was that's my argument. It uh, does not sound like computer thinking to me. Uh, the way that this envelopes, it feels like uh, well, like stupid Hollywood action movie thinking to me. And uh, so you can only hope to enjoy this movie as a big extravaganza of explosions and noise. And watching Terminator become that, it may not be bad, but it sure is lame, you know? And that's what I walked away feeling. I'm like, it's just lame that this series got emasculated in this way. Well, I guess then it's time to boil it down. Marjorie Stewart. Do you recommend Terminator Salvation? I don't. If you enjoyed Terminator 1, you enjoyed Terminator 2, or the fun of it, you tolerated 3, I think 4 is going to be the breaking point for you. And you'll walk away from the franchise. Some people liked 3. You don't have to, you know, you tolerated 3, but... It was no 2. 2 is the shining star of this series, I think. Yeah. No, I I certainly can't recommend it. And I, I think I said in the last podcast that my ratings for Terminator 3 were dependent on how good this one is. And you know what? I would love to stop in 1991 and say, wow, those were two really great movies. Terminator is awesome. To see these extra ones, to see it dipping in quality, to see them throwing away the the things that made it an emotional, exciting, thrilling series, uh, just to be a cheap action movie like any other one that comes out in, on any weekend in, in uh, the summer is really a cheap. For me, you know, Stuart, when we ended the Star Trek series, you were really torn up about whether to go recommend or not recommend it. You asked, if you get a C on a project, are you happy? That was your quote. And I, I kind of feel that way here because watching this movie, I went in with low expectations and I walked out and it didn't even necessarily meet those expectations because it was all action, but nothing made this a Terminator film and not a Matrix film. You could have replaced Skynet with the matrix and had pretty much the same effing movie. Yep. But does that make it bad because it wasn't a Terminator film? I think I'm going to have to just ever so slightly go onto the line of recommend. I think that our recommend, not recommend, is a very hard categorization. I think Ebert and Siskel have it easier when they were both still alive with the thumbs up because I could give this movie a a very weak thumbs up. It's competently made. The action's pretty good. But does that mean I can recommend it? It's it's hard to say whether or not I recommend it. Well, let me ask you this, Arnie. The ending of the movie, they say, well, we destroyed Skynet, but there's a global Skynet and there's more adventures to go. Would you want to go back? I, you know, I'm not so burned on it the way I was on Matrix 2 and 3 where I would just be like, you know, fuck them. But keep in mind, you're asking the man who actually went and saw AVP 2. <laughs> not in theaters, not in theaters. <laughs> 
All right. And I've sat through how many direct-to-video Hellraisers, but... Yeah. The, the thing is, I would still be willing to give this franchise the benefit of the doubt because it started in such a great place. Just because McGee came in and pissed on it doesn't mean it's irredeemable. <laughs> you know, the next movie could be Terminator, the franchise's salvation. But, you know, to recommend this movie, to recommend you take 20 of your dollars in an afternoon of your life and sit and watch this, you know... I can't connect to this material in any way. It had as much interest for me as Transformers, which I didn't like, or, you know, any other just brainless action film where it's action for action's sake. And so... So your recommendation is basically, if you're not particular about what you're watching and you just want a lot of noise and, and lights on screen, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's just not good. <laughs> but well, it's not bad, you know? It's well acted across the board. It's just mm. poorly written. You know, the the writers should all be taken out and shot, but everybody else, even McG, gets a passing grade from me on this one. It was just a bad idea that got too far before somebody said, hey, guys, you're making a shitty movie. Now, I'll agree with you on that much. I don't think this movie should have been made, but since it did get made, it's competent enough to watch. But I don't want to watch it because I want to live in the memories of 1991 and 1984 when it was a special project and not just another one on the assembly line. It's very clear to me they're never going to stop making this series until we reject it. We have to be the resistance. <laughs> we And I'm ready to lead that resistance. But I don't want any more substandard sequels to Terminator, a very good one-two punch. I, I concur that the first two films are phenomenal, just absolutely phenomenal. Unlike Marjorie, I actually like the first one better because I like the horror aspect. I love the first two, though. But is it fair to judge this movie just because the previous ones, you look at it, it's kind of like looking at a child who just graduated community college and go, but you were in honors class in fourth grade. You had such potential. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's like, that's not really fair. And so I look at this movie as it is, and, you know, it's, it is, it's okay, just Okay, but fine. wait a second, though. If something has been good, you come to expect that. My feeling is, walking out of the theater today, I walked out going, that wasn't so hot. It, it was aimless. Okay. But I think that when this hits HBO a year from now, when I watch it two more times... Two? You're being I, awful low there. I I'm mean, going <laughs> to like it better, because I'm going to go in knowing not to expect a good John Connor story and i'm gonna go in with you know even lower expectations than i started going in it's more willing to explore the story of marcus and more willing to accept it i can't recommend this movie today but i think a year from now my judgment would be yeah it's fine you know and so Okay, but that. a movie to watch or a movie to clean house to. See, that's the difference. When you're going to mm -hmm. rewatch it on HBO, you're going to watch it as something you don't have to pay attention to. And Stuart knows this about you because he's known you a long time, like I have. But you're going to make it one of those movies that you watch while you do something else. Or, hey, it's on. I got nothing else better to do. I can do that and reformat my hard that's drive. That's true. That's very true. So it's not a fair judgment to say later on but you're you going to recommend it. There's so many movies I would not even clean house to. There are movies I will dive to the remote to change the channel. I've on. yet to find one. Well, you know what? I don't think they're going to put this on the poster. Arnie would clean his house to it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that you're really recommending this movie, Arnie, but I understand where you're coming from. And in a way, it did reflect, uh, although Star Trek, a much better film, how I was feeling about Star Trek and how ambivalent I was 
to the experience. It is good enough to watch, but did you really want to pay attention to it? No, and honestly, the whole first hour, I was bored. And then I got out of the boredom mode and started to enjoy it more, you know, once Connor and Marcus met. But again, just because I was less bored doesn't mean I wasn't still bored somewhat. And Oh, I was bored. That's the problem with this movie is it didn't grip me. But yeah, it was fine. But I'm just, I'm right on that line. You know, I guess if you got nothing better to do, go see it. That's the best recommendation I can give it. But my God, it's just, it's not a must-see by any means. Uh, We'll have to do the follow-up in a year and see if you really do still recommend it. I'm very curious. You here? Uh, let me give the let me give you the poster line. It's better than Indiana Jones for Arnie Carvalho now playing. <laughs> it is it is probably better than a few part fours, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. That's I think a year from now I'll think it's fine. And a year from I'm, I, we're going on record today. A year from now you'll never pay it as much attention as you did today. And I that's would a feel good thing. I would feel bad if based on your recommendation that someone else goes and spends ten dollars on it in the theater. But I, hey, they've heard this podcast they've heard me rip it apart then they've heard me say if you have nothing better to do and 20 bucks burning a hole in your pocket what the fuck is that no don't recommend this movie this is arnie from 2015 you do not want to recommend this movie trust me (laughs) (laughs) salvation is shit just keep telling yourself that in a mirror (laughs) salvation is shit I might like it better when I watch it again in a year. You're not going to watch it again in a year. You won't. Trust me on this. Do not recommend Salvation. It's going to be your downfall and the end of humanity if you do. All right. Will Naked Me put some clothes on, please? And no, I I don't recommend Salvation. I'll be pushed over that line. (laughs) I've got an idea. See something else and sneak in. Yes. And with that, we close the book on Terminator. And thank you, Marjorie, and thank you, Stuart, for joining me for this series. And now it's time for Now Playing to take a bit of a summer break ourselves. How we spent our summer vacation will not be watching series of movies, but we want you to know we will be returning with another series in the future. Just keep coming back to www.nowplayingpodcast.com. You can go back and listen to our Star Trek retrospective series, our Friday the 13th retrospective series, or the previous installments of our Terminator retrospective series, and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or at nowplayingpodcast.com. And when the new series comes in the fall you'll get it automatically. So Stuart, again, thank you for all of your participation and same to you, Marjorie. Thank you for joining us for this installment of Now Playing's Look Back at the Terminator movie series. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production and is not affiliated with the Halcyon Company or Warner Brothers Pictures. The unknown future rolls toward us. I face it for the first time with a sense of hope. Be sure to come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com to listen to new installments of our Terminator retrospective, culminating in a weekend of release review of Terminator Salvation, opening May 21st. Until next time, hasta la vista, baby.
the whole uh, can we just say that the cast of this uh, Terminator is really like that what what it must have been sound like on the set is hilarious. Hey McGee, could you get Moonblood good and while you're at it, get Jada Jada Grace, who is the little star character. I'm like, did they all have funky names? Like did uh, is it Chrissy Bale and uh, oh and Co- I don't forget Common the rapper. I don't know. It's weird. Well, per the rant, they only call Mick G, G. So. Oh, oh he, he shortened it. <laughs> well, that Mick is awful hard to get in when you're angry. Yeah, right. See, I was, that yeah. may have happened. Well, see, Stuart, you could just be called at, and that could be your thing. Well, I was trying to come up with other fun ones, like Bryce Dallas Howard could become Bridal Shower. <laughs> I, Hel- it, Helena it Bottom work. Carter could be B-Car. God, that woman's scary. And blood good she, could be blood good. Yeah, I, yeah, I think she's good. Yeah, she's good to go with Moon Blood Good. That can't be a real name. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it could be some kind of tribe native name, but it's I don't know. It sounds Hollywood to me. It sounds her made full up. name is Corina Moon Blood Good, so she's going by her middle name. Because mm-hmm. I guess Corina Blood Good isn't weird enough. <laughs> it certainly isn't. For joining me for this series, and no I, fun. I think uh, what. I said no fun. I thought he said bouffant. I'm like, what? I thought he said no fun. I'm like, what do you mean no fun? You didn't enjoy it in the series? I was combining two sentences. No problem. I had a lot of fun. So no fun. It's shorthand. It's okay. You know. And now it's time for now. McGee, no fun. I I like to, to, uh, you know, I'm never going to talk in a complete sentence again.